0: Welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name's Jera, and thanks for tuning in. Today with me, I have crew member Sue. Hi, everybody. A.K.A. my number one. Oh. <laughs> we also have two very special guests. We have Mahogany. Hi. And Kenna. Hello there! And we will we'll let them introduce themselves more in a minute, but before we get into that, we have a few, a little bit of housekeeping to do first. Our show is entirely supported by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month and get awesome rewards from thanks on social media up to silly watch-along commentaries. Visit patreon.com slash women at warp. You can also support us by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Sue, is there any other housekeeping that I'm
1: missing? Well, we do have our new patron tier, the Spore Jump tier, that includes extra bonus content. Uh, we had so many requests asking us to talk about non-Star Trek topics, plus our April Fool's joke where we asked for comments about CJ Craig from the West Wing that we decided to make it real. So at our, our new tier, every other month, there will be a bonus podcast episode about something non-Trek.
0: Can't wait to get all all up in that West Wing, Star Wars, Doctor Who stuff with you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So back uh, to our topic today, which is Discovery Season 2. Uh, before that, I'll, I'll turn it over to the guests to uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself. And I'll start with um, Kenna, who has um, been on our show before. Um, <laughs> uh, Kenna, why don't you tell us about yourself and, and your amazing podcast that just happens to share a network with us?
2: Uh, that's right Uh, my name is kenna i'm one of the hosts of priority one a roddenberry star trek podcast uh we are your weekly report on all things star trek so uh we have a weekly show that comes out on friday and we cover everything from news we do a little bit of episode reviews when uh discovery is on screen we also tackle gaming news and feedback and uh let's see what else uh, pretty much anything that you can include as part of Star Trek fandom, we cover. So comics, books, merchandise. Um, we've been we've been running for eight or nine years, like a crazy long time. Um, and we have a great team of people that that do a great show. So uh, anybody who's listening, if you are interested, please uh, check us out. You can download us on Apple Podcasts on Friday. Um, and we also do a live show on Tuesday, uh, which is kind of fun too. For more, visit
0: podcast.roddenberry.com. <laughs> And, uh, Mahogany, how about you, other than being my fellow Ottawan?
3: <laughs> oh, uh, hi, um, yeah, so, I'm not that really, I don't run a podcast or anything, I'm just <laughs> mostly a cosplayer, I'm also known as, I guess you could say I'm um, the Canadian Michael Burnham, that kind of happened <laughs> because of Star Trek Las Vegas anyways, so, yeah, I'm a huge Discovery fan, which is why I'm here.
0: Excellent. And, uh, I mean, you have a lot of cosplay talent, and in addition, uh, I know that, um, you have some particularly interesting insights on Discovery, so glad to have you here for this discussion. So let's, uh, get right into it. We wrapped Discovery Season 2 by the time this episode drops. It will be about two weeks ago. Um, and, uh, if you were tuning in to our last episode, you had an opportunity to hear our interview with Mary Chifo, and it's been a big season full of of many uh, new characters, twists and turns and red angels and time travels and spore jumps and explosions (laughs) and Michelle Yeoh kicking people in the face and yeah. So um, we wanted to start out by talking a bit about some of the new characters and um, there's a few to cover, but... um, How about I start with Kenna and ask you just one of the new characters that stood out to you?
2: There was actually a couple of new characters that stood out to me that I really liked. See, I don't want to steal anybody's thunder, but hello, Pike. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, he was the he was the big one that premiered. And, you know, at first I wasn't really on board with the hype. But um, Anson Mount has done a fantastic job with that character. Um, I also think the writers have done a pretty good character Um, fleshing him out from like the tiny amounts that we knew before and I I feel like he's now like a legit Star Trek captain whereas before he was more of a trivia point Um, so he's he's probably the standout one for me but I also really really love Nan and she's kind of been understated the whole time Mm -hmm. and I'm really looking forward to her um, expanding into season three. For sure.
0: Mahogany how about you did you want to talk about either Pike or Nan or throw another new character into the mix?
3: I'm really a fan of Nan. Like, I love how she, she was fleshed out and everything, but also I still think she was a bit understated and mm-hmm. deserved a bit more airtime in the show. Um, another one I really like, who I think is understated, is Jet Reno. She's funny with her dry <laughs> yeah. sense of humor and mm-hmm. just the way she works with her hands to problem solve. I just like seeing a female engineer. It's very rare to see that in most media these days. So
0: that was another one I liked, too. Yeah, and I think it was... You know, Stamenson and Culber, which we will talk about more soon, um, Mm -hmm. being like the first uh, you know, openly gay characters on a live action track series. Um then we had uh as Jet Reno who we don't know anything really about her sexual orientation um until Mm -hmm. later on and when she sort of makes a comment uh to uh Culber about uh her wife. Um and I just thought that was neat because um, like both of them are just uh show that first of all you didn't just like tick the box and decided you were done with queer characters Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and then you got um to see a whole bunch more of her personality um and then just had that in there like a fact like it is with any character that Mm -hmm. um they don't always feel the need to like tell you right off the bat but it's just now like it's a given that you can't just assume that any character is gay Yeah, it's a nice fluid
3: progression into it instead of like Her coming out and being in your face, you know, with the whole queerness thing. It's
0: just, it's another part of who,
3: yeah, exactly. (laughs) Nobody does that. It's part of who she is, and it comes out when the time is appropriate.
0: Also, with Non, like, I agree. I didn't really feel until the very last episode in the second part of the finale that she was really. Felt like part of the team, mm-hmm. um, but man, I love those scenes with her and Giorgio at the end. That yeah. those were yeah. funny, and I would just watch like a show about the two of them kicking people in the face. Now, really,
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's funny that you say that because I don't think Nan did did ever feel like part of the crew. Because mm-hmm. even the bits where she was like spying on Arium, like she mm-hmm. she always kind of held back, and even in the last episode, she was kind of like, "It's okay with you guys. I want to come too." Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think she always felt like an outsider really until the very end.
3: Yeah. Yeah. She was portrayed in that sense too, that she was Mm -hmm. always on the sidelines too. And you could see just the little like glances and things like that too, that gave it away.
1: How about you, Sue? Who do you want to talk about? On the Pike conversation? um, (laughs) I remember at the the red carpet at the premiere, Anson Mount was talking about how we had already had like an act one for Pike in the cage. And we had an act three for Pike in the menagerie, in the menagerie. So, he and the writers wanted to create like a reasonable act two to tell you more about this this character, this captain, and I think they did a really fantastic job, and I've seen so many people saying, "You know, well, I have a new favorite captain now, and it's captain pike uh and he's he's moved up my list as well. I obviously love number one. Um, <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of of what they did to her in the finale. Uh, mm. Which I, I wrote about a little bit in our recap, and I don't know if we, we want to spend time on
2: that now. But uh,
0: I think it's fair to mention. Okay, <laughs> so-
2: yeah, because I'm not—I'm—I'm not, I'm, I'm curious to hear because I, you know, I, I thought you loved number one, but you making it sound like mm, maybe there's a problem. So number one is supposed to be like in. She was supposed to be the
1: Spock before Spock was Spock, right? right. She was supposed to be mm-hmm. incredibly smart and incredibly logical, and um, the the apocrypha around why everyone calls her number one is because she was like the first in her year on her home planet of Elyria. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And she's like the most smart one. Right. And she's mm-hmm. our first officer and our helmsman. And uh, in very early on in the finale episode, she's in that like telephone call with Detmer where they split oh. the screen. Oh, yes. I really uh, disliked that split screen. It, it was weird, but that that's not my problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, um, Detmer says something to her about, like, we're going to have to stay within this many arc seconds of blah, blah, to make sure that Burnham doesn't die or whatever. And she says in English, I can't blow a path through what you're saying. And yeah. I, I understand uh, if, like, they feel the need to explain arc seconds to the audience. Mm-hmm. But, like, if I knew what they were in college in, like, astronomy 101, then number one knows what arc seconds are and would understand that. And they could have done something. They could have had another character ask that question. They could have had her respond with, wow, that's really keeping it close. We're going to have to be careful. You know, something that gets that point across without making the helmsman of the flagship seem like she doesn't know what she's doing.
2: Yeah okay
0: okay so we know by this point that like they speak many different languages on discovery because of the sphere episode Mm
2: -hmm. and
0: Mm -hmm. i just really dislike the english please thing when it's like uh, i don't know it just was like so like you could have said like plain language please or something that was like "Mm," but you shouldn't also expect that everyone speaks english like she's not detmer's best friend they also did Mm -hmm.
1: that on uh next gen once or twice
2: do you think that the universal translator like translates that to like whatever language the other person is actually speaking so when she's like plain english like the translator says plain Fling on please. All right please
1: <laughs> potentially
2: let's let's go with that so it's not as bad yeah yeah like undertones of xenophobia yeah.
0: yeah um kenna what did you think of number one
2: um i I wanted to see more of her i i I don't think on the whole they dumbed her down. Um, I, I I think that probably that scene was a little bit like the the writers used her as a as an exposition tool because you know things like there was the, there's a scene later on where she's you know she's proactively retrofitted everything in preparation and I think um on the whole, they make her come across pretty smart and pretty quick. Um, I would like to see more of that. Uh, I don't think we're going to, uh, which is kind of a shame because I think that the crew of the Discovery on the whole, they're, they're all really bright and they're all really like um, go-getters, right? But number one um, came across to me as a, a really efficient, um, efficient subordinate Um what you would expect more from a really professional military operation where um, the discovery crew was not quite, they're a little more loosey goosey. So I was kind of looking forward to seeing more of her, but um, you know,
0: we didn't. Yeah. One thing I was disappointed about was how um, when uh, she, or when uh, Pike was off the ship that at least we're part of it, we're led to uh, see that Cornwell's in commanding the ship, mm-hmm. even though mm-hmm. number one could have been commanding the ship. And I was yeah. like, that was just a missed opportunity but i did like her last scenes with the you know the starfleet questioning them about what happened i thought that she was fun and yeah. interesting in that scene
2: i laughed out loud when she says i'm number 1 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah that, I thought was, that was very cute i thought that was a cute little nod i thought it was cute
0: yeah how about you mahogany um thoughts on either number 1 or pike
3: um well we've already discussed this in person. You know I'm not that big on Pike anyhow. Number 1, I feel like she deserved more airtime. I couldn't really form an opinion on her because I didn't really see her that much in the whole yeah. seri- in the whole yeah, season. So it seems like they threw her in at the very last part and it seemed really rushed to me. Mhm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I am um, on Pike I definitely wasn't expecting to love it. Um mm-hmm. but um I- I I'm feel just like indifferent
3: it's- to him. He's just there. I'm just meh. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I, I feel like he started out super strong. And near the end of it, the it kind of wore off a bit for me after the whole Time Crystal Monastery episode. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't know if that's just because everyone else had to have had so much to do. And maybe, I, I don't know. I mean, he started out so strong with that, like, we'll try to have a bit of fun along the way. And then I feel like actually his character and and the whole season sort of like lost a bit of sight of that near the end yeah like there was still you know hopefully one joke an episode but it was a, just a bit a but less of a sense of fun and exploration
3: mm-hmm. it became this whole time travel thing at the end so that whole sense of uh, fun and exploration and science pretty much just went out the window and <laughs>
0: Yeah,
2: we just retconned that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think they had an issue this season that there was so much going on that they uh, had no choice but to let us down a little bit in um, personality and character development. I do think there were probably a couple of people that got some really good on screen time, but generally speaking, we were so busy trying to explain the timey-wimey stuff yeah. um, that yeah. we didn't get any, you know, meaty. Uh, interactions. Uh, th- towards the end, I think uh, the writers did a good job of of having sort of one-on-one smaller conversations that helped build character. Mm-hmm. But overall, um, I came away with a feeling of a lot of the major characters being underserved in terms of their screen time and their development throughout the whole uh, story.
3: Yeah, there were a few that stood out to me. Like, I know uh, the Saru episodes were really well done, you know, with his whole Vahari and that whole thing leading up to that. But as far as the other characters go yeah, the basically being in a huge hurry seemed to be the theme of this whole season. In my opinion,
1: they did um, a
3: whole lot.
1: Yeah. A little bit too much maybe, you know? Yeah. And that's what, you know, going back and looking at the episodes from this season, we only had 14 of them Mm -hmm. and I'm like, Oh, right. This happened this season. Oh, right. We were in the mycelial network with, with um may oh, yes, this with season Tilly and may yeah that was all i totally be- forgot about that because yeah. you see
3: what he's saying like it's just go 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 and, yeah. so
1: much happened mm-hmm. and i think possibly to their detriment yet i have seen other people complaining about
2: the pacing <laughs> like, but the pacing has been go 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 now to be fair we have we've had two separate this is basically two separate seasons of Star Trek, because for me, the the contrast between the first six episodes and the latter eight is pretty stark, basically up until they got to Culber, Mm -hmm. uh, and then it felt like the whole rest of the season was just trying to unpick the mess that they made in the first six episodes. Um, So it doesn't surprise me that you get people on both sides complaining that there's too much and also not enough. Right. Yeah.
0: I mean, I would agree. I think that the pacing uh, was a more of a problem, actually, in season one. I think it found more of a groove. It may have been too much in too short of a time, but, like, at least it was more consistent.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, that, like, I mean, Sue writing most of our recaps, and I did it once, and I was like, holy, these take long to write now. <laughs> but,
1: yeah, when you're when you're 20 minutes into the episode and you're at 1,800 words, <laughs> it's, well.
0: <yeah. oof. laughs> But um, like the second to last episode had four montages. <laughs> like that's what yeah. I, I thought that the finale was the had the biggest problem in pacing, maybe like the last three episodes, because it slowed down in order to stretch it out to three episodes, but then was really fast at the end. Mm hmm. Anyway, but um, we have a couple other new characters to cover before we, we get to the um, more regulars. Um, and I'm wondering, Mahogany, if you have any thoughts on either young Spock or Michael's mom. Um, uh,
3: Young Spock, I, I liked his character, you know, like I could see the progression in their relationship where it's sort of mending this whole little rift that they had over the years. As far as Michael's mom's concerned, uh, I, I don't know what to say. She's... You know, if after seeing your daughter for so long and that's how you react, I I just can't explain it. Just something about me bothered, something about her bothers me and I don't know what it is.
2: <laughs> I personally loved Michael's mom. I thought they did a really excellent job with her and I thought they made some really interesting choices um, because I think it would have been uh, the expected and probably not realistic thing if she'd been all super happy. Oh, Michael because she's been saving michael yes over and, over and over again um she's also seen her die a lot um and with however what was it 300 and something jumps the past to her is no longer real it's like a, a like a horrible video game that you have to keep that you keep losing on the boss and you have to restart um and so i absolutely believed her when she was impatient and didn't have time for any of it and was like let's fix this Mm -hmm. and then you and I can have our family moments and I thought that was a really interesting choice because they could have gone the easy and more understandable route of just being happy families.
3: Yeah Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't say like to go happy family but she seemed really like abrupt to me so that's where I was like whoa what is this like
1: yeah. What about you Sue? Well I'll take it to Spock. I think Ethan Peck did a really great job because it, it's not easy to step into a role like that,
3: mm-hmm.
1: but I especially loved Baby Spock. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, so cute! But so cute, but also, also really good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like they, both of the kids, you know, Baby Michael and Baby Spock were were really good and had some of the most moving scenes for me this season. Mm-hmm. And what mm-hmm. I really appreciate with it is that. You know, Star Trek acknowledged how much childhood trauma, and yeah, I do mean trauma even when I'm talking about insults, uh, can have a lasting effect on someone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is, I don't know, it was, just, it was really moving to me and really kind of eye opening to see Spock of all characters, you know, still be affected by something that was said to him as a child. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I also really appreciated, and we had a good article on our, our blog, um, about Spock's, uh, learning disability and integrating that into it. I think it, um, you know, showing the way that Sarek brutally mishandled that situation, um, and just generally parenting, um, <laughs> sort of helped, um, you know, understand the intensity with which he would feel this sort of betrayal from Michael. And I think that it was really, uh, like, a really powerful statement to make, you know, similar to making, you know, LaForge the the blind navigator, to make, like, the smartest guy in Star Trek have a learning disability. Mm-hmm. I think that was a really cool thing to do.
2: Yeah. I feel like I should be the voice of dissent really quick. I really hated sure. the inclusion of Spock in the entire thing. <laughs> <laughs> It's, I think, I think they did, fu- once, once the trigger was pulled on that decision to include him as part of the storyline, I think they did a relatively decent job of untangling it and giving us a little bit of color. Um, but I think that had Spock not been there, mm-hmm. and in fact, had Pike not been there, yes, everything could have played out exactly as it did
1: um, mm-hmm.
2: it, without... Without inviting all of the criticism about you're messing up our canon and you're screwing this up and why didn't we know this before and then having all of these things that we had to untangle later, so um, I wish they hadn't done it. I I
3: think mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. I'm leaning towards that as well. You know, like I liked Discovery for what it was in season one, and then kind of mixing in this whole Enterprise and TOS stuff. I'm just thinking, why? Why are you doing this? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, they're, they absolutely could have pulled off this season without the inclusion of the Enterprise or Pike or Spock. Yeah. And if they needed another ship, it could have been another ship. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. they could have had a totally different captain we've never met before come and commandeer the discovery. Absolutely. For, for having them make this decision. I think they did it just about as well as they possibly could have. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really enjoyed Anson Mount. I was much more skeptical about Spock because he's a character that we knew so much about already that we had, you know, 50 years with essentially. But I think they, they also like walked a really fine line when they showed uh, Pike his future with the time crystal. Yeah, mm-hmm. because we've talked before on on Women at Warp about how both the cage and the menagerie are pretty damn ableist, and they they showed Pike this future where he is is using a wheelchair, where he has does not have the ability to speak, and his flesh is like melting off his face. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. also weird. intense. <laughs> but and and he has this reaction to it that can be read as, you know, death before disability because he screams and backs away from it. But Mm -hmm. then we see him, you know, almost like talk himself down. And I I thought the way they played it was really interesting. And I'm wondering if what what everybody thinks about the the job they did portraying that eventual, quote, end of the story for Pike.
2: Oh, I hated it. um so th- i had a couple reasons and i'll try to keep it brief i really wish that they hadn't shown us that i felt as though they were torturing uh that character for our entertainment um part of the reason that i feel that way is because i think uh, where we are in the story when that happens pike has already sort of faced the knowledge that he's probably going to die and it's probably not going to be in a very nice way um so for him to then be that horrified at at that particular um, vision. I don't, I don't find it believable. I think the shock is believable. I don't think the believing that it's actually going to happen was believable to me. So it wasn't the huge moment. And I felt like, because we know that's going to, that's really going to happen. I just felt like it was, um, it, it, it was, um, abusing him for our entertainment, which I really didn't like. I wish they had gone a different way with that. Um, me personally.
0: Yeah, it um it wasn't as bad as I thought it could have been given what you know the previous discussions we've had um and definitely take a listen to our episode on disability and ableism in Star Trek to talk about why you know the beep boopy wheelchair thing is not so cool. Um <laughs> but it, because it didn't you know have that whole narrative of you know it's basically better to be dead than to be in a wheelchair and that it's or at least to live your life in an illusion created by aliens that are sort of holding you captive and probing your every thought than to live in a wheelchair um i thought that it didn't it was it was okay um but i also but i think that vena in this iteration was actually worse and less less complicated than in the cage mm. so unless people were all going back and watching the menagerie or the cage um like vena i thought came across as like She's already, she's basically, again, someone who is living this illusion, and at first, she can't get off the planet, but then later, like, she could get off the planet, but she chooses to stay rather than to live being an older woman with a deformity. And, I mean, of course, like, those are real types of emotions and feelings and thoughts that that people have. But it's um challenging in a Star Trek universe where we're supposed to be giving people hope and uh more like discussions of acceptance. And I feel like it didn't totally counter the I feel like discovery is the learning disability thing was very positive. But in terms of physical disabilities, we've had some people in wheelchairs in the background. But Largely, they're extras who don't even have character names, and the actors are often uncredited. And I, I don't think that really goes far enough.
2: I'm pretty sure it was just that one guy, in that yeah, in like he was was like, "Did you guys see? We have a wheelchair. Check this out."
1: Yeah, (laughs) he's been on screen several times.
2: Okay, I just remembering there was one scene where it was very. It felt like they were going, "Hey, check it out. We've got a wheelchair." And also some other stuff is going on, and I just it felt very in your face, like uh, tokenism, a little bit. But I could be wrong. I haven't done a full on analysis of the season for that.
0: No, he he's been in a few times, but I agree that it doesn't. It is not yet elevated to more than tokenism until at least you give the character a name <laughs> and maybe a line or two. Yeah,
3: I also see it as tokenism as well because. It, think about it in a war you'd have people with different injuries there'd be people missing legs and arms and stuff it wouldn't necessarily be just one guy in a wheelchair they could have done so much more
0: yeah i did like detmer's thing where she's writing the letter and talking about you know to the person she was talking about about how they made her see that um you know who she is is more important than what she's lost or yes. you know how she's different and cool like i thought that was a good line i just think there's still some more work to do
1: mm-hmm. well we've we also had um both Detmer and Arium. Uh, mm-hmm. this season, we learned more about their pasts. So mm-hmm. it is heavily implied that they both were augmented after an accident or an injury. Mm-hmm. And it got me thinking about whether this was a choice for them, whether like they chose to have an augmentation rather than to not, or if this is just standard medical practice at this point in the
2: future that's an interesting question actually it speaks to the mentality of how they view um a disability after a after a tragedy Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: interesting well i was actually going to say like how about we talk about ariam and some of the other regular characters and we may not get to everyone but but ariam's one i want to particularly uh check in on as well as uh, Tilly and Michael and Kelmets, but uh, we'll we'll see (laughs) what we get to so uh, let's start with Arium if that's okay there is I mean basically one big feature episode and a lot of uh, foreshadowing um Kenna did you have thoughts on the Arium situation
2: yeah, Ariam was so underserved, and it was a real. I, I can only blame the sort of the crossover between the writing staff, the showrunner staff. Sorry, um, because um, her her the way that her story ended for Discovery was so powerful to me, and it was so um like the emotion was just not quite deserved because they gave us less than an hour to get to know her and kill her off. And I, I, you know, there were so many opportunities that she could have been involved in the, the group talk or she was, I didn't know she was human before that episode. I thought she was like, you know, like, not like Data, but I just figured she came from a race of people that were just straight up augmented, like, Borg or something. Um, I didn't realize nobody had any idea that she was a, a human woman who had had a tragic accident and and you know been basically living her life in a in a totally augmented body. Um, and then and then it was over. Um, I I, I, that makes me really sad, and I wish they'd gone. <sighs> Well, it's over now, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, because it was really interesting, and her motivations, and God, it broke my heart. The the whole the st- halfway through that episode when she asked Tilly to stand next to her, because mm-hmm. she knew she knew what was happening at that point, and she couldn't tell anybody. She like physically couldn't tell anybody, and the whole rest of the episode, she was trapped, and it just broke my heart. That whole episode, um, but we didn't get anything else from her except that one episode.
1: Is it underserved, or is she underserved because? of the way Discovery is written where it's not standalone stories because we've had this before with, with Cito Jackson and Lower Decks Mm
2: -hmm.
1: where we, we got to know her, loved her and then lost her all in one episode.
2: The thing is she was so, Arium was so pivotal and this wasn't a story about Ariam. This was an incredibly pivotal episode for the entire season of Discovery. Um, The reason I feel that she's underserved is because she had that, those moments where she is trying to get to, well, she's basically been infiltrated by future control and she's trying to get back to control. Um, It's like hugely important for the story. And she's a throwaway character effectively. Um, We could have built that up. She should have been involved in every episode at a deep level from the beginning. Um, And it would have made that whole impact feel much more um, like resonant.
0: You mean the glowing red eyes weren't a deep level? <laughs> no, not not so so. <laughs> Mahogany, what are your... Do you have thoughts on uh, Ariam?
3: Yeah, um, I, I agree that she wasn't fleshed out. I mean, she was in this since the beginning... Since season one, essentially. So I feel like they could have given us some background on, on her as she went along. Because as... Uh, I forget, was it Sue or Kenna who said that she didn't even know she was human? I thought the same thing. I thought she was just some alien race or something. So... Yeah, um, they definitely could have fleshed her out, you know, showed her more. Even if the flashbacks where she had where you saw that she was part of the group and everything, we had no inclination of that. There was nothing. And then all of a sudden they did this huge episode on her and then boom, she's dead. That's it. That's my thoughts on that. You know, like I said before, everything in this season is just too rushed.
0: Um, but yeah, I mean, I see Sue's point too. I was trying to think about like, um, Arium versus Yar, um, where someone else, like we also say, was very underserved leading up to her first death. Um, and, um, and it's true that like, the Star Trek being more episodic, I think, had more leeway to do that because you expected to get to know and have to be interested in a guest star in a single episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I think there could have been more, um, advanced planning to sort of seed in that thing that... But as it was, I, I really only felt moved by it at the beginning of the next episode when they had her memorial, and that's because I cared about all the other characters feeling sad.
3: Okay. <laughs> See, that's why I'm I'm not, like, resonating with all of you, because I don't have any – I don't know, when I watch stuff, I don't really get that emotional feeling. I'm just like <laughs> –
2: it's hard to describe, but – It's not just you. I had a hard time connecting with all of the characters, really, in Discovery. Um, and it, I'd say that improves by the end, but there, mm-hmm. there definitely isn't the character that I feel, uh, represents me or that I in some way identify with It's I've never been able to connect that way.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Mahogany, um, that is probably a good segue to talk about Michael Burnham. Yes, because, that's the one um, I'm connected with. Yes. <laughs> you are, you're like an, um, amazing award-winning Michael Burnham cosplayer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, Um, I know that in season one, you felt particularly connected uh, to that character. Um, Can you tell us maybe a bit more about that and whether that stayed the same in season two?
3: Um, I feel like it did in season two, just because I kind of, let's say, even though I'm not a big fan of the whole bringing the Enterprise and all that in, because I was so invested in Burnham and I felt such a connection, I pretty much forced myself to stick with this and watch it all. So I still feel that in a sense
0: what is it about the character do you that you think speaks to you
3: well aside from the uh, striking resemblance (laughs) um, probably just her mannerisms and the way she interacts what spoke to me a lot in season one was a whole you know outsider thing because my background's kind of like that too I was not raised by a Vulcan father but I did have like that whole sort of kind of cold and distant upbringing so to to see a character who is like that on TV, It really spoke to me and I felt like I actually had some representation after 32 years, never seeing anyone like that. And also, you know, being a black character who is just existing and doing her thing and nobody mentions her race. That's another point that
0: I think Mm -hmm. is great. Yeah, definitely. I want to throw a question out there to um, whoever has thoughts on this, um, which is um, a critique that I've I've seen several times this season was about um, the... Um, a bit of the change that we saw in Michael's character in terms of her emotionality, mm-hmm. and uh, particularly if you watch the first four seasons of season one, uh, where, you know, she's um, almost, you know, Giorgio's having to sort of coach her to be more... uh more cheerful, and then, you know, she's going to her first party and all that kind of stuff after being,
2: mm-hmm. you know, very
0: uh, Vulcan-like, yeah. um, that in season two, she b- she's very openly emotional um, frequently. And I'm wondering if anyone has any thoughts on that.
3: Okay, so my thoughts on this were, yes, it's good to see her growing emotionally, but my critique is, why is she always crying? There are many <laughs> more emotions in humans than you know, sadness and anger. And I feel like that's what we were seeing most of the time. She's sad or scared and crying or angry and beating the crap out of somebody. So, you know, I feel like there could have been, like, some a range where they show her a little bit of happiness or different, just different feelings, you know? So... I know yeah. it's kind of like mirroring Spock almost because he had that whole rage issue where he's like, "I like feeling emotions," and he throws a chessboard. So, <laughs> and then the next a <laughs> couple episodes later, you see Michael wailing on this bag and punching Leland in the face, which is cool. I would do that, but yeah.
0: I, I may have yelled, "Kick him in the balls."
1: <laughs> <laughs> what I picked up on is that they kept telling us that Michael blames herself for everything. Mm -hmm. She blames herself for the Klingon War. She blames herself for Spock. She blames herself for whatever. And I don't remember that overwhelming guilt being a part of season one Burnham's character.
3: I feel like it was there, but it wasn't front and center. She still had that, you know, I have to pay for my crime kind of guilt feeling. But now since she's pretty much been uh, reinstated the guilt is redirected to Spock and everyone else and everything else happening. That's the way I'm seeing it.
2: Hmm. Yeah. What about you, Kenna? Um, Burnham's a complicated character for me. I like the fact that she's evolved um, beyond, beyond the sort of the Vulcan teaching. I think she had a lot of trauma that happened to her in the last season. That makes it believable that she's sort of ultra emotional um, this time around, but she's able to still see the value of logic. So I appreciate that. Um, I'm, I'm, I don't know how to phrase this in a nice way. She's like the Marsha Brady of Star Trek. Like everything <laughs> is about like literally Ariam says, it's all about you, Michael. Like it's <laughs> everything's about Michael. Um, of course and, it is. It's all about me. And, <laughs> and, um, it, it's, um, that bothered me a little bit. She's really petulant. She's, she interrupts her captain. She is just, she does whatever she wants to. Um, I don't personally like that part of it. I'd like to see her a little bit more restrained, um, but I do find it believable. I think her, her character is cohesive, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's not, <laughs> she's, I'm not sure that I'd go out drinking with her. That's all. <laughs> Well, yeah,
0: I mean, I have mixed feelings about it. Because on the one hand, you know, I think back to when Star Trek Voyager first aired and this like intense fear they had about making Captain Janeway too emotional because she was the first woman captain and you couldn't go that road without people thinking that made her weak. And I like that you can have a protagonist that can be an emotional woman and a a woman of color um, that people are not... Like you know, despite all the critics, the criticisms um, that some some people have out there on the internet, I haven't seen she's not strong enough, um, and um, this idea that like you can be a a fully realized complex character um, that does have a range of emotions. I think it's powerful, um, and. Um I also agree with you that she's been through a lot that it can explain this, and I also think Sinequa Martin Green does an incredible job selling all those scenes. Um, I would say like my my favorite moment of the season would be uh her um, scenes with uh, Saru and an opal for Karen yeah so i mean i think there were some really really great moments where it really worked um and then there were some times like maybe the tyler scenes that i didn't buy uh, it they so keep much. pushing that
3: relationship down our
2: throats uh, <laughs> I, do. I love their relationship i do i love it it's, it's tell funny. tell me more well, to be fair, I like Shazad Latif because he was um he was on I think we're he was on Spooks in the UK when I was actually living there, so I've seen him before, so I like him. Maybe it's just I want it to work because I want to see more of him.
3: Um, yeah, that's that's so. how I was in season one with Lorca. <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> yeah, I, but I I actually like I like their interaction. It's believable uh, for me, and I can tell they have good chemistry on screen, so it works.
1: I feel like it yeah. exists in season two though so that we can see laurel hurting mm. i'm not good saying point. they don't have good chemistry i think they do but mm-hmm. i think there's no reason for it to be there if not so we have the the added layer of drama
2: of I love triangle
1: laurel still mm-hmm. being yeah. in love with vok but vok not really being vok revoke I did really
0: like the um last episodes with with uh, Laurel and Tyler I think that worked I think the first episode where they're on Chronos uh, uh was uh very weird and painful in some ways <laughs> um but um I'm, I'm not a big Tyler fan, um, and I'm, I'm glad that he at least, um, at least when he's in the Section 31 uniform, you can, like, I feel like you can get away with the greasy hair, um, and the, like, beard <laughs> situation, but it just looked weird to me when he was in the disco uniform, and I don't know. So, uh, before we leave Lorel and Tyler, um, I just wanted to say that if folks have not taken a listen to our Mary Chifo interview, um, you should definitely do that, because, um, I think that she has some really interesting insights on what happened between L'Oreal and Voke Voke Tyler in season one. Um, That is important to the the discussion that we had of that season, um, as well as her insights on uh, what motivates her as a character uh, this season being a woman chancellor in a Klingon patriarchy and I think that that is super interesting. Um, But uh, if uh, folks are okay with it, uh, we should, I think, move on to uh, Stamets and Culber Mm -hmm. um, being another um, big problem that at least um, the women at work uh, folks had some issues with last season with uh, Kalburg being killed off, and I know there were there were some other folks that felt the same, uh, feeling, you know uh, maybe, I don't know, misled or, um, at least just very hurt that, you know, there's this beacon of hope in the first openly gay, uh, crew members, um, who are an interracial couple on, um, Discovery and then having one of them killed off kind of unceremoniously and, um, just having to see that sort of pain and trauma. Um, how do you think that the, uh, decision went this, uh, season to, uh, re, uh, what is the word I'm looking for?
2: Bring Maybe him back reintroduce out. him? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, reintroduce is a good way. Yeah.
0: Uh, or resurrect. Uh, Rise, resurrect, <laughs> <Yeah>. thank you. <laughs> let's let's talk yeah. resurrection of Culver. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, it's so complicated.
2: It is. Uh it's difficult for me because I I the episode where they brought him back I absolutely hated. Um there's still a very large part of me that hates the fact that they brought him back. But I, I, I want to preface that by saying that I am glad that he's back and I like what they did with him with the rest of the season. I hated, I hated that they killed him off. I hated more that they brought him back. Uh, but again, uh, like I've said before, once they committed to making that extremely poor decision, I think that they, um, they did a good <laughs> job of then handling the consequences of, of that action. So I'm, I'm on the fence. Um, on the whole, I'm glad that things are working out in the end. And I'm looking forward to their relationship going forward. But I feel like the whole the last, like season and a half has been just basically one giant reset button for them, trying to forget mm. that they ever killed him in the first place.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from the instant they killed him, because uh, I was at the after Trek taping of that episode. From the instant they killed him, they told us that they would be bringing him back. Um, so you know what is what is that even? say to us as an audience basically you know death is not permanent for anybody
3: except for Lorca (laughs) anyways
1: well maybe Mm -hmm. maybe not but we for all we Mm -hmm. know um like prime Lorca is in a prison somewhere in the mirror universe you know but I I felt the way that they brought Culber back to us was 100% predictable from the instant they told us he was coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, I've seen a lot of people saying different things and, and how everybody reads it is going to be different because the queer community is by no means a monolith. And some people have been like, well, this is showing us that, you know, queer relationships can work through pain. And others are saying, you know, this is still upsetting because this only ever comes to pain and, and ends in breakup or ends in death. And it's just... So convoluted in this story, yet we do continue to see how much these two characters care for each other, and I think the most positive thing we have about it is the what we we said when we were talking about uh, Reno, is that nobody ever addresses it like oh wait you're married to a man, like it's it's not something that anyone's surprised by it's not anything they question, except for Giorgio. Mm-hmm i'm i'm just going in all kinds of directions yeah right no and georgia
0: was someone um, i was like we need to talk about her too there's so much we could talk yeah. about
1: and <laughs> so when when they do have that conversation they uh both characters both Culber and stamets both just sort of reiterate like no but we're gay we're not we're not not gay we're definitely gay <laughs> I love that um, scene. In I my love-
3: universe, everybody was pansexual something like that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Which I think it was funny. I think, like, taken at face value, that it is just kind of a fun scene. Mm-hmm. But it also does continue to reinforce that bisexuality and pansexuality are only in the mirror universe. Yeah. Now,
3: now you mentioned it. Now I'm thinking about that, too. You know, as a bisexual person, it's like, yeah, another way we're getting pushed aside again. Or, Yeah.
1: Well, and just you know, the mirror universe being associated with uh, bad morals or, or evil Deviancy uh, pretty much means, you know, that, that we're we're putting pansexuality and bisexuality in in a in a box of, of bad intentions. Mm-hmm.
2: That's really interesting because I didn't read it that way. I kind of read it as the opposite way. I kind of read it as it was poking fun at straight people who are like, Wait, are you sure you're not straight? So um so I kind of read it in a very different way but now that you mention it you're absolutely right it does sort of subconsciously reinforce the the notion that you know because the mirror universe is full of bad people who wear mustaches right um and right. they're all the pansexuals they're hidden over there in the mirror universe right mm-hmm. so with all the villainous people Yeah I did, it's funny cuz I didn't read it that way at the beginning but yeah
0: I would say like I'm by and large um with Kenna on this one that I think um I I wanted him to come back. I wasn't – I couldn't really buy into the way it happened, and that episode didn't do it for me. Um, but I think given that that decision was made, that the way that they handled the scenes throughout the rest of the season were very, very heart-wrenching, but um, well done.
1: I I just want their, the drama involving these two characters in season three and forward not to be relationship drama. Mm-hmm. Just let them have a happy relationship. And tell me a story that they're involved in. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, We
0: also, I believe I saw a quote from, I think, mm, I want to say Kurtzman, but I might be wrong. So I, if I'm wrong, I will correct it in the show notes. Um, but um, saying that basically, by the end of the season, we would see that it was necessary for Culber to die. Um, that like there was something, so some, going to be something explained. And I don't think that any of that was... Ex- Nothing was explained. I expected <laughs> no. there to be a Red Angel tie-in. That didn't happen. Ooh, I'm not well. sure it would have been better or worse but anyway just a comment but um i have a question about Mira georgia because um by the end of the season i'm like damn she is one of my favorite characters and i feel weird about that and i know <laughs> when they announced they were going to do a section 31 spin-off earlier this season a lot of people said um basically this is antithetical to what star trek is to have a character that's helmed by like a fundamentally evil or like an evil person or an anti-hero uh how how do folks feel about that
3: um, yeah, I really liked her character development because even though she was from the Mirror Universe and supposed to be evil and all that, I find she was one of the funniest characters in this season. Just with her yeah. as her side comments, you know, when she's always wisecracking and I get something about Poppy there, like it's stuff like that, right? So I find like they gave made her more like she's becoming more accustomed to the Prime Universe in, in behaving in that sense. If that makes any sense, but yeah,
1: they also showed that she has a good yeah, heart there's as cliche particular.
2: as that phrase is yeah mm-hmm. what about you Kenna? um yeah that's kind of similar to what i was saying i'm not um i'm, I'm not an expert on the mirror universe um i'm not convinced that Mary Giorgio is evil i think she's ambitious and powerful and has done extremely well in getting to the top of the terran empire which requires a level of sort of violence and cutthroatness Um, and i kind of am looking forward to seeing how she fares in the prime universe whether she will still have that i mean because certainly at the beginning of this season of discovery she was extremely ambitious and was like i'm gonna rule you guys again um i think by the end she's soft softened on that but that's also because she's battled some bigger villains and she has also formed some relationships that she probably wouldn't have had the opportunity to do in the mirror universe uh and i wonder if uh, now that now that she's had that opportunity whether she's no longer like i'm gonna rule everything and kill everyone and she's just like actually it's not a bad place to live
0: yeah well mm. she's still suggesting genocide in the second to last episode oh, yeah. <laughs> um, um it's die hard <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, and like she really, she enjoys witnessing Leland's suffering. I think for more than the fact that he's caused other suffering, but because she just didn't like him and she wants to overleap him. Um, so I, I wouldn't. I also agree that she can't be like tagged as a hundred percent evil. But I think it, it does. It does raise questions about is this, um, y- you know, is it. I mean, I certainly would say it's a departure for Star Trek to be like, yeah, maybe we can empathize with someone who's promoting genocide on a regular basis.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but I, I'm kind of into it. And I am i mean, I'm really into a Michelle Yeoh. And I, I think that this season she's just been really kick ass, uh, literally
1: and figuratively. Mm-hmm. Now, she was on Discovery when it went through the wormhole. Yeah, she stayed with it. Yeah. Yeah. So how is she going to lead a section 31 series
2: in the future
1: (laughs) (laughs) with
3: all by herself (laughs) maybe maybe she goes back who knows
0: yeah she finds a time crystal steals the suit goes back it's all good
2: (laughs) it could be in that time because there is a period of time it's not a huge period of time but between the end of season one of discovery and the beginning of season two so you know i mean what is it a year it's not like nine months
3: they said yeah
2: yeah. So, you know, even though it's a small amount of time, there is, there is time there to be telling stories. So there is a possibility that mm-hmm. they could do that. Um, I, I, I'd be okay with it being in the future. Certainly, we know she's going to be on D- Discovery season three, because she said she was. So Yes. Cool.
0: Okay, well, um, we are, we're coming up to you know, needing to wrap up the discussion, but I know we could, we could go on. One person we did not talk about of our, our general faves is Tilly. I would say, because I think she didn't get a lot to do after those first few episodes. And there were certainly some episodes where I felt her absence was conspicuously, conspicuously, conspicuously Mm -hmm. noted. Yeah. Um, (laughs) uh, She did get to hang out with Poe again. That was, that was kind of cute. Yeah. Any uh,
1: further thoughts on Tilly? I feel like she had a lot to do at the start of the season. So being more in the background was not as big of an issue for me mm-hmm. for the the back half of the season. Um, I was a little, I don't know, I, t- I guess I'll say I took notice of the fact that more of the characters were pointing out her her talkativeness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what we're supposed to take from that. Was that just supposed to be humor? Are we supposed to think that... You know, Saru and Pike are actually annoyed by her at this point, because if even our own characters on the ship are annoyed, are you just annoying your audience with it? Um, So I think they need to to find a little bit more of a balance with that for her. Mm. Mm -hmm. Okay,
0: does anyone have any favorite or least favorite moments you want to throw out there that we haven't discussed already?
3: Yeah, I would say uh, Saru's evolution. You know, like when he went mm. through, uh, Vahara and he was on, uh, that, the Baul ship or whatnot. And yeah, just to see how when his, he realizes he could be strong and just, you see his character change so much. It, like that was, uh, a nice thing to see, you know, something different.
1: Oh, I kind of hate that. Right? <laughs> um, I've, I've said it a few mm. times on different shows, but I really identified with Saru and, um, just because of, uh, I have, I deal with generalized anxiety. Disorder. Okay. And that was, Saru was the character I felt best portrayed that in any Star Trek. Cause my, my best option before that was like Barkley. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, this transformation, this biological transformation in this character causes him to not experience that at all anymore. Mm-hmm. And I, it just felt easy. Yeah. Um, To just, just too easy to, to take that, that, that struggle away from that character. And he had, he said that, you know, he, he still has a heightened awareness of what goes on around Mm -hmm. him, but they haven't really shown that to us. So. Yeah. I mean,
0: Doug Jones gave an interview where he talked about how he hoped that this would be a hopeful story for people mm-hmm. with anxiety, which I also... That's how I deal, I deal with. Get, yeah. I, but I can totally see what you're saying. And I mean, certainly, like, this idea, like, you, well, you can just take a pill and it automatically goes away is it's very simplistic. Uh, you can just cut off your threat ganglia. Um, yeah. But I think I I love that episode. And I really love Serana. And I mm-hmm. actually, um, uh, I think, like, you know the idea of her the transformation she makes in, in an even shorter period of time and mm-hmm. uh, like oh you you're piloting a bahul craft by the end of it mm-hmm. um i i really loved her and i thought uh, that the actress
1: portraying her did a really a, a great job and i'll clarify i really liked the kelpian episodes mm-hmm. i just like my own personal connection to that character i'm like oh okay that's not there anymore like <laughs>
0: But I don't think it was also uniformly portrayed as a good thing, which I think was a, a neat thing that they did because then they have him, you know, he almost has not enough fear mm, um, right. and he's he's being a little bit inappropriate and possibly a bit reckless. And mm-hmm. um, I think that it was that was a neat uh, aspect that they put in as well.
2: It was hard for me to pick out a moment, actually. I gave some thought to this. Actually, all of the moments, it, this is kind of on a meta level and also in the story, was really the Arium episode. I can't remember the name of it. Um, so one Project of the... catalyst com- Yes, Maybe. that's the one. Um, one of my uh, common problems with the, with the series as it was running was that they were very heavy on exposition in this first several episodes. It just seemed like everybody was constantly stopping to explain things. And the um, Project Daedalus was the first one where we got a lot of uh, subtext that was um, not explained and it heightened the action. And I think that actually helped set the scene for later episodes. So the example was like, I loved the scene between Arium and Nan where Arium kind of looks at her and is like, so those things help you breathe. And then she just kind of like walks mm-hmm. out and it's like, that's really creepy. And then uh, <laughs> the moment I mentioned earlier about where she asks Tilly to stand beside her. Like, if you're following that character, you realize what's going on, but it's, it's a very understated moment. Um, and that, that episode to me marked the turning point for, uh, for the whole season. Mm-hmm. So that's probably, that'll probably be mine. Uh, we saw after that um, a lot of one-on-one little character moments between, you know, two characters that I think really provided some good color and helped me um, invest a little bit more towards the end.
0: Okay, so I have a final question uh which is basically what what do you expect in season 3 and what would you hope to happen? Are we going to uh see them evoke Voyager or Deep Space 9? Um are is are they going to be totally alone in the universe? Um what do you what do you think we're going to see in uh season 3? And I'll start with uh Hawkeye. I really don't know what to expect
3: or what we're going to see in season 3 just because this is you know the the whole future jump business. It's kind of uncharted territory, so I guess I'll just take it as it comes and see what happens.
0: D- anything you would wish to see? What, really, like, you what gotta if- ask
3: me that. You know what I wish to see,
0: <laughs> Lorca. <Lorka. laughs> exactly.
3: <Yeah. laughs> if he could come back somehow,
0: yeah. Back and then forward. Yes. yes. Sure. I mean, really, we saw a guy raised back to life through the power of mushrooms this season. So I maybe he's stuck
3: in some (laughs) mushrooms somewhere. I hope so.
0: Yeah. Um. How about you, Kenna?
2: Um. First of all, I was like, because I saw this potentially coming a couple episodes before, and I and I was fifty fifty on whether they were gonna, you know, uh, have the Trek nuggets to do it because I thought, (laughs) wow, this is a huge, huge uh, risk for the writers. I am so excited for them to be in the future. I am so excited for them to be so divorced from anything that we know as canon. And I think that the writing team has a lot of potential to do some really good stories and go back to exploring. And, um, that to me is incredibly hopeful. I think, uh, I suspect that the Federation will still be around. I hope they don't go down the post-apocalyptic Vedrash Calypso thing. I'm not clear on exactly the timelines there, but, um, Um, I am very optimistic and I hope we get to see exploration. I don't think they'll in any way try to get back because they, all of them know that to take discovery back to the past would be disastrous. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I think we're going to boldly go into the future.
1: And Sue? I think this was a really smart way to go so far into the future without having the writers have to create new technology. Mm. Because uh, that is uh, they've said it a few times in in, in interviews and things is that the problem with going so far forward is that you have to come up with with the technology that seems plausible, but is still advanced for where we are now. And now they don't
0: have to do that. And allows for conflict because like, you know, it he, right. is the technology too
1: advanced that then you can solve any problems. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I think that's a really smart way to do that. Yeah, I'm I'm also curious as to exactly how this lines up with Calypso. I was just trying to see if I could find the timeline, and it is not coming to me easily. <laughs> but at least we have a, a more straight line to that short than we did before.
0: All right. Um, any final thoughts, things that you didn't get to talk about that you think uh, we missed that were important? And I'll start with Kenna.
2: Um, No, I just, um, so this was a really emotional journey for me as a person who hosts the podcast this season, (laughs) because it was, I felt it was very divided. And um, I know even on priority one, we had Anthony is absolutely loved discovery and me and Elijah had some issues with it. it. It's, I, I kind of am wondering, and it's an open question, which we probably will not answer. I wonder if the the first two seasons of Discovery are going to end up being like the first two seasons of Deep Space Nine, because everybody that you ask, if you've never watched Deep Space Nine, they're like, just fast forward to season three. <laughs> yeah. So, I, mm-hmm. you know, it's um, we we've had a lot of discussions over whether this was Star Trek or not, or whether this was good for the franchise or not. Um, but I think in 10 years' time, 20 years' time, we will have all forgotten about it, and it will just be another great franchise. Sue? Uh,
1: I think Kenna raises a really great point, because I think sometimes we Star Trek fans forget the divisiveness that surrounded any of the spinoffs when they started. You know, I remember being on the internet when DS9 started, and Seeing people say terrible things about it, you know, you can read in old fanzines what people were saying when Next Generation started.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Even some of the original (laughs) series actors.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I think that we're we're in, you know, part of the the Trek cycle of of that. But yeah, I and that in in however many years time, it's not going to matter. And you know, some people will like one of the series more than others, and. Some people will like other ones. So it's it's all where your own particular interests fall. All right. Well, uh,
0: let us uh, conclude then. I'm going to go around and ask people uh, to uh, tell us, uh, you know, where people can find you elsewhere on the internet or if you have anything, anything else you'd like to plug. So I'll start with uh, Mahogany. Uh, if people would like to get in touch with you, is there a place they can do that? Um, or is there anything else people should know about you?
3: Uh, yeah, so uh, they can reach me. I have a cosplay page. It's on Facebook. It's Mahogany Severia. That's S E V E R I A, and um, I'm also on Instagram as the so T H E dot Severia. And Kenna.
2: Um, so the best place to find me is on Priority One dot com. So we we have a show out every week, um, and you can email us at incoming at Priority One dot com. I'm really not on social media very much anymore. So that's probably the best place to get in touch with me if you if you would like to drop me a line.
1: Awesome. And Sue, you can find me on Twitter at spaltor. That's S P A L T O R. And I'm Jarrah, and you can find me at J A
0: R R A H Penguin. And also, I forgot to mention Mahogany, and I will be on a panel on uh, Sunday, May twelfth of Ottawa Comic Con um, about uh, the evolution of women's roles in Star Trek. So if you're around Ottawa, hit us up. If you'd like to get in touch with our show, there are several ways you can do that. You can email crewwomenatwarp.com. At you can find us on Facebook, on Instagram, or on Twitter at, at Women at Warp. And uh, for more from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, visit podcast.roddenberry.com. Thanks so much for listening.
1: the Roddenberry Podcast Network, podcast.roddenberry.com.